But, you know, uh, thinking about the video, uh, if the truth were really known, if we were absolutely honest with ourselves, I think we'd discover that every one of us has a little bit of that lady in us, right? You know, I mean, if there was this message board that displayed over the top of our head that indicated every thought that we were having at every moment of every day, I'm sure there'd be some things that would be broadcast that we'd be a little embarrassed uh, for others to have to know. But let's be honest, okay? If we can be honest for just a moment. We all struggle with our motives. I struggle with my motives. I hope I'm not the only one in this, but I struggle with my motives. We all struggle. We seek the approval of others. You know, we're we're quick to do anything that will make ourselves look good, make us come out on top. We'd rather fool someone into believing that we've got it all together, and we like to give this false impression that, that we have no weaknesses, you know, that we're all taken care of. We're put together just right. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our our Bible study uh, through the book of Philippians. Uh, The book of Philippians is an epistle, or it just simply means letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of the church in Philippi. And if you were here last week, you might remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's in prison waiting to be tried before Caesar, and he writes this letter of encouragement to the people of Philippi, his friends, telling them to to keep on living. You know, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't give up. I, I know that life can be hard at times, but keep on going. Don't let life bog you down and keep, most importantly, keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on him and he'll help you get through. And that's why we're calling this series Living in HD. It's all about living in high definition. It's a series about getting the most out of life. It's it's about living with clarity. It's about living with crystal clear intention. It's about purpose. Living in HD is like you've got a destination in mind in this world, beyond this world, and you know what it's going to take to get there and how you need to live along the way. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. That's why he wrote this book of Philippians, this letter to the people in Philippi. Now, we've talked about the importance of connections. A couple of weeks ago when we began this series, we talked about living in HD means living a life of connection. It's about living in community. That God did not create us to live alone. He created us for one another. That's why the church is so important, you know, that we can come together, that we can support one another, that we can get to know each other's stories and encourage one another through the ups and downs of life. Last week, we talked about the importance of living with purpose, that living in HD is living a life of purpose. And the question that we so quickly ask all the times is, what's the purpose of life? And you may hear people in and out of the church asking that question, what's the purpose of life? When the better question is, and this is what we talked about last week, the better question really is, who is the purpose of life? That you will have a better chance of asking that question regarding what is the purpose of life if you're willing to ask, who is the purpose of life? You ask that question first and you'll be off to a better start. Well, I challenged you last week to memorize a verse. We're we're doing a a different verse every week. You get a card when you come in. I'm challenging you to memorize the verse with with everyone else. Uh, Last week, the verse was Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and I want to know if we've got a volunteer this morning that knows their Bible verse. I've got another prize. There's somebody here in the back. Go ahead and stand up if you would. You've got to stand up. Philippians 1, 21, nice and loud for everyone to hear. That's right. Let's give her a big hand. I've got a $5 Starbucks gift card for you, all right? That'll buy you a half a cup of coffee. So uh, enjoy. Don't spend it all in one place. But uh, I want to challenge you to keep on le- learning your verse. And somebody said to me, well, are you learning the verses? And I am. I'm making sure that I'm learning the verses too so somebody doesn't call me out. But take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians. 
Uh, go to the New Testament, go about halfway through. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles today, no worries, we'll, we'll put our scripture up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, when you leave today, stop by our info hub, we've got Bibles there, we'd love to give you one as a gift. You can take it, it's yours, it's yours to keep, uh, you can leave with one today. But today we're talking about humility, that living in HD is about living a life of humility. But before we go any further, I've got to warn you of something, because this message is really a continuation of last week's message. It's the sequel, all right? It's it's part two. And if you didn't get last week's message, or you chose to not think about it, or you don't want to have to deal with it, I need you to know that you might have a hard time with this one today, because the two kind of go together. Because here's what Paul is going to show us today in these verses, and what he's going to continue to speak about, and he speaks about in many different places throughout the New Testament, that is that life is not, it doesn't revolve around you and me. You know, the center of this universe, it's not me, it's not you. It's not about our selfish desires, it's not about getting what we want. Following Jesus means setting aside all of your selfish ambitions for the sake of God and for the sake of others. It's really not about us. And Paul speaks of that in Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. I'm going to read the uh, first four verses here, and I'd love for you to follow along. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should should look out not only for your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He's writing to a group of Christians who are a part of this church, and he knows them. You know, having spent time in Philippi, he's familiar with them, he's acquainted with them, he knows the situation. And he knows that the one danger that appeared to threaten the church was division. It was internal conflict. Something was happening here that was threatening the unity in the church. Now, I used to work for a senior pastor who always used to say that one of of Satan's greatest tools of attack on a church will be division. If he can get into a church and if he can create division within a church, then he can rip a church apart. And that's the problem here. That's the problem that Paul's concerned with, that there was this conflict and people weren't getting along. Now, Paul identifies three things that seem to be fueling this fire. They're adding fuel to all of this. The first was selfish ambition that he talks about, that the people here were more concerned about advancing their own agendas. They had something they wanted to see, and they were about to make sure that it got through. They were in it for themselves. It was like, what what can I get out of this? You know, it's really about me. The second was personal prestige. You know, prestige can be an even greater temptation for wealth, can it? You know, to have prestige, to have honor, to have glory. And the people here were fighting for for respect. They were fighting for admiration. Each wanted a seat at the table. They wanted to be known and they wanted others to see what they had accomplished. Kind of like the lady we saw in the video. And the third thing was just too much concentration on self. You know, it's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about my time. It's about what I need. It's I don't like the music. I don't like the way that they're doing things. I like the way that we used to do things. And these were just a few of the problems that were in Philippi. 
Now, Paul was smart enough to know that they were capable of ruining the church. And he was also smart enough to realize that it wasn't necessary to try and address each individual problem. Maybe he didn't have enough time, maybe he didn't have enough paper. But Paul realized that there was really a greater issue here. There was something deeper below the surface that was fueling all this. There was a root to each of these problems, that these internal problems had one thing in common, and they could all be summarized in one word. There was a problem with pride in Philippi. These were prideful people, men and women looking out for their own needs and their own interests, and this pride issue was threatening not only the church, but it was threatening the, the friendships and, and the homes of the people of this church in Philippi. And if we are not careful, pride can do the same things to us too. It, it can mess with our homes. It can mess with our church. You know, it can cause problems right here at Genesis if we allow it to. You know, pride can cause problems, you know, in a home, especially in relationships between, you know, fathers and mothers and their children. Pride can take a toll on your marriage. Pride can cause problems at the office and at school. And most importantly, pride can hurt or even stand in the way of a relationship with God. It's pride. It's at the root of so much. I like what John Stott said. He writes, in every step of our Christian growth and maturity, and throughout every aspect of our Christian obedience and service, our greatest foe is pride, and our greatest ally is humility. Our greatest foe is pride. Could it be? Well, I want to take a look at that just a little bit deeper this morning. Here's a definition for you, a definition of the word pride. Pride is the quality of having an excessively high opinion of oneself or of one's importance. It's thinking more of yourself than of others. Now, pride disguises itself in a number of different ways. And John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he talks about four different kinds of pride, four different kinds of pride that we see every day in our world today. The first one is this. It's vanity. All right? The first form of pride is vanity. In fact, it's probably the most common form of pride. Vanity can be defined as this preoccupation with one's appearance or self-image. And we live in a very vanity-saturated society today. I mean, think about it. All the shows having to do with the lifestyles of the rich and famous or all of the infomercials on how to make yourself better, how to better your life. Uh, We were at Target yesterday, and I was just kind of looking through the magazine rack looking for some examples of pride or or examples of of vanity. You know, there's a magazine titled Vanity Fair or or GQ. Uh, Here's Self Magazine with Jenna Fisher. And, and, you know, she's talking about love your body secrets, feel sexier at any size. You know, what can you do to make yourself better? Here's Lucky Magazine. Lucky provides 812 easy ways to look great right now. You know, whatever it takes, Lucky Magazine's got the example for you. You know, how good can you look? You know, how great can you feel? How, how can you better yourself, your hair, your body, your sex life? Pride, 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 vanity. It's all around us. We see it every day. The second form of, of pride is, is stubbornness. It's stubbornness. And there, there is this form that refute, of people that refuse correction. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been around someone that refuses to admit that they're ever wrong? 
I know some of you are getting an elbow in your side right now as I ask that question. There's a reason for it. You know, it's the inability to stop defending yourself. You know, you get accused of something and you've already got an excuse. You know, you dig your heels in for the battle and you have no intention of ever giving in. And even when you are wrong, you won't ever even think about admitting that you are. It's pride. There's exclusiveness. Exclusiveness is this ultimate pride. It's a belief that others are below you, that the world owes you something. I always enjoy going to restaurants and looking around other tables, and there's always that guy whose food is never right, you know? And it's just like he walked into that restaurant with a chip on his shoulder, and it's just like, why did you come to eat here in the first place? You know, why go out if you're never going to be happy with your prepared food? It's this feeling that, you know, this restaurant owes me something. You know, the king is dining at Chili's here today, and, you know, it deserves to be right. The story is told of Muhammad Ali, you know, the great champ, and he was flying on an airplane one day when the flight attendant noticed that he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And so she walked up to him and asked him to put it on, and he replied, hey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she... (laughs) She quickly looked at him and said, well, Superman don't need no airplane either, so put your seatbelt on, all right? It's this form of pride about, you know, where you think you're above everyone else, you're above the law, you can do whatever you like. Another form of pride is approval addiction. It's this intense desire to be approved by others. It's about climbing the ladder of opportunity or of success. It's about driving all the right cars and living just the right subdivision and having just the right house. And here's the thing. If we're fortunate enough to achieve some of these things, others have to notice. We we want them to make comment about what we've achieved. You know, if you get a new outfit, you want people to say something about it. You know, I struggled with this in high school. I desperately wanted to fit in in high school, and I thought the way to do it was through clothes. But here was the problem. Everyone was wearing um, uh, polo shirts and guest jeans that were tight-rolled, of course, and uh, Nike high tops. And I was the kid with the Bugle Boy shirts, the Lee jeans that, yes, were tight-rolled also, and pony high tops, you know. Uh, I, I just couldn't fit. I struggled with it. You know, we, we all want to fit in. We want other people to notice. And these are all forms of pride. And none of us are immune to it. And it shows up in various forms and to differing degrees, and it infects us, and it shapes the way that we live, and and, and within us, we have this urge or this tug to make it about me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. You know, what can I gain? What can I get out of this? This is what I deserve. It's pride, and we all struggle with it. C.J. Mahaney says it well. He says, here's the real issue. The real issue is not if pride exists in your heart. It's where pride exists and how pride is being expressed in your life. So it's not an issue of whether you have it or not. It's how is it being expressed in your life right now. And so here's what I decided to do this past week. I decided that as I was studying this, that I don't want to be just the guy that comes and talks to people about the issues, but I need to make sure that this stuff is working on me too, that it's changing me also. And so I just kind of made a list and I tried to think about, okay, where are there examples of pride being expressed in my life right now? And so here's just a few of the things that I found. First off, I've got some friends that gave me two tickets to a Pacers game this past week. All right, now you're like, well, yippee, wow, the Pacers, yeah, they're real good. Well, 
second row courtside, all right? Never quite had the experience before, so I took Joel. We went with our friends. We're here at the game. It's fun to see the players up close, see how big and aggressive they are. And I found myself throughout the game looking up to the nosebleed section, all right? Now, this is a section I'm very familiar with. I've spent plenty of time in the nosebleed section, and I found myself kind of saying, you know what? I deserve these seats, You know, there is no way I'm ever going back up there again, you know. I've spent my time there. You know, I've, I've lived, you know, part of my life. I need to be here on the floor at all times, you know, preferably for the final four or something like that. But, you know, it's laughable. It was pride. You know, it was pride. I jammed my, I jammed my thumb playing basketball on Friday and it was rough. And, you know, do you have, do you realize how important your thumb is? Do you, do you, I mean, it isn't until it is injured that you realize how much you use your thumb. My wife told me something like 80% of the activity with your hand, I mean, the thumb's involved. I have completely disrespected my thumb over 33 years. You know, I have not given it the credit it's deserved whatsoever. I mean, the simple task of like, you know, buttoning your shirt and putting on your shoes. I mean, my zipper might be down right now, and so <laughs> I'm just, just going to pull my shirt down a little bit lower. But, you know, what I found is that I've had to slow down this weekend. You know, everything moves much more slowly. You know, I'm not able to accomplish as many things. And, and sometimes, you know, it reduces your value when you have to slow down. And you're not able to get as many things accomplished every day. And sometimes in my desire to accomplish many tasks, I'm prideful. Or I'm a people pleaser. This is a tough one for me. I, uh, I don't want anyone to be upset with me. I want everyone to like me, and I try to avoid conflict whenever I can. Trying to please people all the time, well, it's prideful. Or I'm credit-seeking, you know, and I don't want to be. I really don't want to be credit-seeking. I, I really don't. And, and I, I want to be told, hey, you know, you're doing a great job or a great sermon, but sometimes it gets to the point where it's a little prideful for me to want to hear those things, to, to want to have that acceptance. Or you might find it hard to believe, but my wife and I do occasionally have an argument, all right? And I know, I know, you probably thought we were just the perfect couple that never did anything like that. But yes, we do have disagreements over small matters. And sometimes it's hard for me to admit that I'm wrong in those situations. You know, I I always want to be the one that's right. And sometimes, you know, I mistreat my kids. And it's hard for me to realize that because I'm prideful. Or it's my schedule, you know, it gets so jam-packed and I'm learning the responsibilities of my position and I'm trying to keep up without losing it and I don't take time for God and I, I kind of put him off to the side and I somehow think, I get this mixed up thinking that, well, if I, if I just make more time, then I can get it all done without God. And it's prideful. Or one last one, I, I found out this past week that a guy that I went to high school with who I did not enjoy... I mean, he was popular and he was a jerk. I mean, he was an absolute jerk, if I could just be honest. But I found out that he's been going to church and that he's reading books and about God and listening to, to different preachers. And, and I have to say, I was just struck and I was a little over, emotionally overcome by it because I never gave this guy a chance. I mean, I give up so quickly on people sometime and just think, you know what, they'll never get it. And I'm prideful. You know, and it's not always easy to identify pride because pride kind of hides under things. It, it takes on various disguises and it, it disguises itself as something else. 
But what does pride look like in you? I mean, I'd challenge you to try it. Try it for a week. Just make a list. You know, where do I see examples of pride in me? I mean, maybe it's, it's when you continuously worry, you know, and you somehow think that by worrying about your kids, your love life, or your future, that for whatever reason, you can somehow control it. And that's prideful. Or pride shows up when we get angry with God. We don't like how things are going in our life, and so we just get upset with God and we cast the blame on Him, and that's pride. Or it's in the husband that believes that his wife is the problem with the marriage. And the truth is, she might be a part of the problem, but it takes two. It's pride. Or it's the son or daughter who can't get along with mom or dad, and you kind of think that your parents are completely out of touch, and they might be. But you're a part of the problem, too. It's, it's a pride thing. And we get trapped into thinking that it's all about me, me, me. It's my pain. It's my worries. It's my wants. It's my needs. It's my desires. I'm above everyone else, and I have this excessively high opinion of me. And here's the difficult truth about pride. It's brutal. But God hates pride. The Bible tells us that God hates it with a passion. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6, the first half of the verse. It says, God opposes the proud. Now, I found it interesting that opposes here in this verse is an active present tense verb. And here's what that means. That it shows us that God's opposition to pride is an immediate and constant activity. That God opposes pride. The word here opposes is a military term for a, an army being built up as prepared for war. I mean, do you want to go to war with God? Try being prideful. God opposes the proud. It's almost as if he pushes back against those who are prideful and that the proud will not escape God's discipline. Here's another classic example of that. Take our economy for a moment. You know, take our, 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 our poor economy. And as we consider it, it for today, it's easy to cast the blame of the economy on a number of different factors. You know, some blame the policies of the past administration. Some blame uh, sending jobs overseas. Some blame uh, the war in I- Iraq or in Afghanistan. And while there may be truth in each of these, let's face it, the problem with the economy boils down to one thing. It's pride. And, and every bit of it can be traced all the way down to what we see in society every single day. It's that we have a problem with pride. I need this. I want this, I deserve this, it's about me, it's my wants, what's in this for me? I mean, do you want to know what the first sin was? You know, the big one, the Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden sin? It was the sin of pride. It was, that by, it was, it was believing that by eating the fruit, Adam and Eve could somehow share equality with God. The first sin was the sin of pride. That's pride. It was the root then, and it's the root of every single sin today. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. And so how are you doing with the pride thing? I mean, as Paul was opening up this conversation with these people in Philippi, you know, can we ask that of ourselves today? How are we doing with pride? I mean, maybe it's a vanity thing for you. 
You know, you wear certain clothes so that you'd be noticed by others. Or maybe it's just this ongoing need to be approved and accepted by others. It's getting what you want when you want it. I mean, could it be the, at the heart of the turmoil in your marriage right now? Could it have something to do with the fact that you can't get along with your supervisor? Is it causing a problem in your relationship with God? The Bible says that God actively opposes the proud. He pushes back. And with that in mind, it's no wonder that things just get frustrating once in a while. You know, life doesn't go the way you planned, and you can't work out the conflict, and your relationship with God is going nowhere. And I think God allows us to get frustrated. I think God allows us to spin out because He opposes the proud. He wants nothing to do with it. And then it's easy for us to step back and say, well, does this somehow make God the bad guy? Well, let's look at the alternative. Look at the second half of of James chapter 4, verse 6. The first half, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If you go back a little before this verse, it talks about an even greater grace than He's already given. That God is in this business of giving out grace to those who are humble. Paul talks about this, Philippians chapter 2 again, verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's what Paul says. The answer to the problem of pride is humility. It's taking the focus off of you and allowing the focus, as Paul says, to fall on others. Living in HD Living with high definition, living with clarity, living with purpose, living with intention is about living a life of humility. And as Paul writes, it's about considering others better than yourselves. I look to a couple of other places just to see how humility is defined. One says that humility is a modest view of one's importance. It's thinking less of yourself. One writer defined it this way, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It means that if you feel the need for whatever reason to compare yourself to someone, try comparing yourself to God. That that is the only accurate source of measurement for those who want to live a life of humility. Don't compare yourself to to a neighbor. Don't compare yourself to a person who has fallen or or made a horrible mistake in their past or someone who's living an incredibly difficult life. Now, you compare yourself to God and let that be your standard for seeking a life of humility. And it's when we are humble that we become more and more aware of our need for God's grace, His help, and His blessing. You know, and in a world that is quick to admire and applaud the prideful, it's amazing that there's even some evidence outside the Bible that humility still works. Uh, Take the popular book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. Since 2001, this leadership manual from Jim Collins has become one of the most popular and influential books in the business world, And, and many pastors and church leaders have read this book too. The book is driven by this question, Can a good company become a great company? And if so, what does it take for a good company to become a great company? And so to find that answer, Collins and his team of researchers spent five years studying 11 corporations that had made this leap from from merely being just a good company to becoming this great company. And the evidence was shocking. 
And in his book, Collins identifies two specific qualities that CEOs of these great companies shared. And the first one was no surprise. These CEOs possessed incredible professional will, first of all. And this just means that they were driven, uh, willing to endure anything to make their company a success. But the second trait these leaders had in common wasn't what researchers expected to find. But here's what they found, that on every occasion, without exception, great companies were led by humble and modest leaders. These CEOs pointed to the contributions of others on their team as often as they could, and they avoided drawing attention to themselves as often as possible. Well, God's Word points to at least two benefits for us when it comes to humility or living a life of humility. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. It says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Here's what that means. That humility gets God's attention. Humility gets God's attention. You know, as a great basketball coach goes looking to, you know, great, young, talented, you know, high school basketball players, and as a boss looks to hire uh, those who are most qualified, God looks for those who are humble. God is attracted to those who are humble. But look what else humility results in. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts, those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And here, here's what I think this means, that God, He's not only uh, attracted to the humble, they don't not only get His attention, but God is drawn to the humble that God is looking for something in particular, that there's something that almost acts like a magnet to capture his attention. The humble get God's attention. And and drawing his attention is almost like attracting more grace. That that God is, is quick to give his grace, but to those who are humble, he is willing to give more. I mean, think about it. As these verses suggest, as God's words, his truth communicates, there is something that you can do to attract more of God's gracious, undeserved, supernatural strength and assistance. Wow, chew on that for a while. You know, that one's beyond me and my thinking as well. That 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 in our humility, in our pure in the purest form of our humility, that that like a magnet, God is even more drawn to it and is willing to extend even more grace. I wonder where that would help you in your life right now. I mean, what battles are you facing, you know, where you're experiencing the most frustration? You know, maybe it's in your relationship with God, and you just don't seem to be getting anywhere at all. I mean, your spiritual life, as far as you're concerned, it, it's, it's kind of stale. Could it be a humility thing? Or maybe it's a friendship issue, and, and maybe even with some people here at Genesis Church. You know, you, you, you don't fit in, you can't seem to find a place. Could it be a humility issue? Or you're in this financial mess. You know, you've had to replace the roof, something's gone wrong, wrong with the car, and, and, and you're quick to blame your credit crisis on those, you know, factors that just seem to be beyond you. But I wonder if there's a humility issue at the root of it too. 
Or maybe it's with your taxes, you know, and because of the financial mess, you know, you've, you've taken some shortcuts on your taxes this year, and you're almost truthful, but is there a humility issue or a pride issue in them? Or you're messing around with your girlfriend, and, you know, some things aren't going well in other areas of your life, but you know that with regards to your relationship with that person, hey, that's your business. You know, that's no one else's business. But again, could there be a humility issue there? Or you've got a teacher and she just doesn't get you or a professor that just doesn't want to listen to your needs or your concerns. Again, a humility issue. Or maybe it's your marriage. And it's just almost like he doesn't care anymore. And you're getting nowhere and it's like, what's his problem anyways? Again, is there a humility issue? I wonder if you'd be willing to leave today and just kind of take an honest look, you know, dig deep into your life and consider that at least a fraction of the problem might have to do with pride. And if you believe that this might be the case, what could be the benefit of of considering what humility looks like in each of these situations, about thinking less of yourself, you know, becoming a servant, considering that other person and those other people is greater than you. I mean, it, it's odd to do something like that today. You know, we're all about standing up for ourselves. It might mean doing something you don't want to do. But if we believe the Word of God to be true, then it might just be the right thing. God opposes the proud but he gives an even greater grace to the humble. Pride is the enemy, as John Stott says, but humility is our ally. And the Apostle Paul knew that the journey towards humility wasn't going to be an easy one. He, he knew it would be difficult for the people in Philippi, and he knew it would be hard for us to do. And so he leaves us with an example. You know, what, what can we do? What encouragement can we find that will motivate us to seek this life of humility. And it's not an easy one, but but here's the example that Paul gives, beginning in verse 5. He writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, this passage tells us that Jesus is God, that he is equal with God, that he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. That that Jesus Christ made himself nothing, that he became a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, and not only just death, but to death on a cross, the most humiliating way to die during this time. And this is all good news. All right, don't get me wrong, this is good news. This is the story of the gospel, that Jesus is our great example of humility, and that his act of humility is seen in his willingness to die. Jesus died a sacrificial death, and because of that death, something great happened. And so I think as we leave today and as we consider what humility looks like in our own life and as we think about what it will take, we must follow Paul's example. We've got to look to the cross. We've got to look to the cross in such a way that we're able to say, 
Well, if Christ can do that, then I can do this. If Jesus can be a servant, if He can kneel and wash the feet of others, then I can do this. John Stott writes again, he says, you know, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, I am here because of you. It's your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. And it's there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. And so here's what I want to invite you to do this morning. Maybe you, knowing your situation, knowing whatever challenges you might face right now, whatever they might be, however much they are beyond your control, maybe this morning you just need to look to the cross and pray, God, I have been way too prideful. Can you make me humble? Now, the danger in this is to do it for the sake of getting something in return. But let me just, let me just say it now. You won't fool God, okay? He's got it all figured out. You won't fool God. But pray this. Pray, God, regardless of the situation, regardless of the outcome, I want to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and I want to live a life of humility. I want to be humble. And if you can go to the cross, I can love my wife. I can seek your approval and no one else's. I can forgive my dad. I can forgive my brother. I can trust you with this situation that I'm walking through right now that is completely beyond my control. But I don't want to be proud. I want to live with humility. And for those of you who are here today and you haven't committed your life to Jesus, I mean, some of this is kind of new to you. I, I want to invite you to just take a second glance at the cross today. And would you be willing to humble yourself and swallow your pride and say, God, I've pushed you away for so long, but not this morning. It all ends right here today. I need you. Will you rescue me? And I want to invite you to do that. And I believe it's the best decision that you can ever make. And we're going to pray together and then we're going to sing together one more time. And then at the conclusion of the service, I'll be down up front and some of our elders will be here too. And if you need to make a decision and if you need to talk with someone about a relationship with Jesus Christ and what that looks like, we'd love to talk with you this morning and we'd love to pray with you. Let's pray together now. Our Heavenly Father, as we spend this time singing this song and thinking about the cross, would you shrink us down to our true size and help us to see that we're nothing without Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.